0: My name is Aram. my name is Dylan. We can't tell you our last names, or even what city we are in. If we did, they could find us, and that would be
1: the end of this show. We're sending this message so that more people can learn the truth. Maybe then, somehow, the human race can survive until the Endelites return and rescue us. Until then, we will be discussing each book in the Animorph
0: series, as I read them for the first time. And I'll be guiding this journey as I reconnect with
1: stories I read a long time ago. Welcome to Podspeak. Podspeak. We're operating on the assumption that no one is reading along with us correct so let's go over this one
0: although a lot of people are reading along with us which, which is, is interesting
1: awesome i mean it's also odd because you have no rate to base this off of this is our second episode you don't know how fast to read along silly listeners
0: the, yeah, i think they just got in super i know invested. it's a cool series it's
1: we're not given anything specific because, I mean, honestly, one of the best choices anyone has ever made as a writer has been leaving things kind of nebulous and justifying is, well, if I give you timelines, you might be able to trace us. So, this is something like... We're in a town somewhere, although,
0: although, there's yeah. a lot of clues in this one that lock down exactly what time they're in. Well, I mean, I've written yeah, all the,
1: of them down. It is very much set in the 90s. Yeah. That's early 90s, I'd say. Yeah. They were, I think they started being written in 94. So. (laughs) Checks out.
0: That's your, I would have graduated high school had I not dropped out of high school. So yeah, that tracks with why I
1: didn't read these. Little out of the target audience. We're looking at something like, I'm going to say a week to a couple weeks after the first book. They've had long enough that they've practiced morphing. Uh, they all now have their various bird of prey morphs. They've practiced flying. Uh, they've practiced morphing to the point where they can morph with some clothes on so that we don't have to continually deal with the naked children problem. Thank goodness, honestly. It's good for a weird gag in the first one and just establishing this as like actually something strange and uncomfortable, but past that, just like, let's let's walk past it.
0: Especially because this book basically opens up with, like, like an adult trying to hit on Rachel and yep. get her in the car. So, it's like, yeah. it was
1: very, it's a very uncomfortable opening as is. Basically, for this one, we are following the sole uh, lead that they have to figure out what the Yorks are doing at all. Marco is still not fully on board with the idea of, like, going up against an opposing and entrenched enemy army or seemingly literally anything no he wants to go on letterman and honestly fair sounds like way more fun between that and his whole thing about our
0: uniforms don't look enough different from each other they need more style i was like just marco you just just shut the fuck up Mm -hmm. i really don't i'm sure he
1: comes around i genuinely do not like this kid though I think there's an element of that that comes from, like, at some point he gets more on board and it pivots into more of a voice of reason role. Marco is probably the one that is most likely to keep them alive by stopping them from jumping into a problem. Absolutely. And that role is very, very important. But until he is on board and, like, in that role where his naysaying is useful... Yeah, he is just obnoxious, which then makes all of the weird jokes of like, no, 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 we don't want to go Fantastic Four. That's too matchy matchy. You want X Men. X Men has like a through line in the uniforms, and that's cool. He's right, but it wasn't, it was still obnoxious. Yeah. Even though he's right. I think it would be less obnoxious if he was like, all right, now that we're doing this, now that we're a team, we're gonna, like, that, that'll take the edge off of it.
0: It is not helped by the fact that I am listening to these as an audiobook, and I'll have links to this in the uh, show notes. Excellent production, by the way. They have sound effects and music. You know, they're lightly sprinkled mm-hmm. in, but they do. It's paced out great. The guy reading it does voices. It's actually a fantastic production. The voice he has chosen for Marco is basically this. So, hey, guys, we're all gonna die. So it's like that the whole time. So it
1: does not help the likability of Marco at all. That's really weird, because, like... So we know Rachel and Jake are white. Right. We know Rachel is basically, like, tall, blonde, white girl. Jake is also her cousin, so it's fair to assume same territory. Cassie is black And Marco's name is Marco. That's all we've got. And for some reason, I've always kind of just assumed he was Hispanic. And I have no idea if that's something that I picked up from like later in books or if that's just been... Maybe the TV show? I didn't watch the TV show, so...
0: The TV show is interesting. It's Uh, it's not good, but it's interesting. And clearly the budget to have people morph was super limited.
1: Oh, fair enough. Yeah. But yeah, so like having that sort of weird, breathy voice, like, don't get me wrong, I'm very glad they didn't go with any sort of like, oh, we're really going to try to bring bring across the fact that he's Latino. Do not do that.
0: No, there's none of that. There's just kind of this like, hey, dude,
1: kind of like 80s bro kind of voice. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that. They've all gotten kind of accustomed to it. They're following the sole lead they have, which is that they know that Vice Principal Chapman, who is whose daughter is one of Rachel's really good friends, Melissa Chapman, they know he is a controller and they know he's important.
0: It takes Rachel a while, which is surprising because there's like 15 red flags she blows through on her friend before she goes, you know what? It might be that whole brain slug thing. <laughs> That
1: we just found out about. They they very explicitly from the word go know that he is a controller. It's that they don't know if it's his, They don't know if it's his wife as well, and they don't know if Melissa is one of them because. Right. Melissa's been acting weird.
0: And she does mention, like, you know,
1: you get paranoid about everything. Yeah. Which you would. They have a little scene where, like, after she morphs one time, uh, she morphed into a shrew and just had that constant rodent brain of, I am a prey animal, everything is out to get me. Kay Applegate,
0: her best writing is when she's writing the kids
1: thinking through
0: being the animals. That's when she really shines. Some of the dialogue is clunky. The references are clunky as fuck. But when she writes the kids as the animals, like, it's claustrophobic sometimes. It's it's elating sometimes. She does a really good job at putting you in that mindset. And that shrew scene was difficult. Yeah. Like, that felt very claustrophobic.
1: She woke up from a nightmare after that and was, like, hugging her little sister. Yeah. And there was a moment where she just goes is this, does she know? Is she, is my sister one of them? And like, that was the thing that really brought it across for me is like the generalized nervousness and the like not knowing who is on what side. That is scary to begin with.
0: Yeah, especially with your own family.
1: And then we, exactly. Once you follow it up with like, no, no, no. no. I don't know if my family is on side. I don't know what is going on here. That's terrifying.
0: And this does all tie up nicely with, like, the kids who are reading it are coming of age and therefore they're, like, it starts to get confusing, your relationship between you and your parents. And there's all these layers now where you're not communicating as well.
1: Yeah. I have many questions about So this because- I'm going to finish getting through the plot first. Okay, gotcha. Before you ask the questions. They decide that they're going to spy on Chapman. So in order to do this, they decide they're going to uh, send Rachel in as... Melissa's cat. In order to do this, first she has to get a shrew to draw the cat down because the cat has panicked and hidden a tree when they tried to catch it. Fair enough. That's how cats do it. So she turns into a shrew, gets hunted by the cat, and then they catch the cat. She acquires it. Fluffer
0: McKitty is the cat's name.
1: I am usually down for this kind of thing, but that is a bullshit name and a crime to all cats. But if if these are like teenage kids... They were like six when they named the cat. Exactly. Like, that is a six-year-old girl named the cat. It's like, still a crime. Oh, it's a terrible name, but it's a terrible name that you can't get mad at because it was a six-year-old. It's a good plan. As I was
0: listening to the book, they were like, you know what? They have a cat door. And it was like a bum-bum-bum kind of end of a chapter moment. And I was like, well, what does that mean?" Oh, right! <laughs>
1: <can> turn it turned <laughs> into the cat. So they acquire the cat... Rachel goes in and finds out basically that the parents are both controllers, but they are volunteers. Mom apparently was taken in by the cult, and dad basically realized he was fucked and gave up in exchange for leave my daughter out of this.
0: Right. And even then, they are, they fight once in a while. Like they clearly can push back. No, they
1: don't fight once in a while. They fight. Once. And we will get to it, goddammit. Sorry. Uh Rachel intercepts a call, basically, between Chapman and uh Visser Three. Welcome, Visser. innis 226 of the Sultanyar Pool submits to you. May the Kondrona shine and strengthen you. And you Visser Three said curtly. Finds out that. Chapman is not in good graces right now, but basically it amounts to we're going to wait this one out. We'll I'll go back in. Let me listen to one more call. I'll hear what they've got going on. We can use that to track things down. And on her way out, she basically goes up and as the cat just cuddles with her friend, Melissa, because her friend Melissa is currently just fucking devastated because her parents are behaving wrong and she thinks her parents don't love her anymore because those are not her fucking parents.
0: Also, you've heard to mention that Visser sees her the first time she's in there and is basically like, just kill it. It's probably, it could be one of them. Just kill it. If it's an animal, kill it, which is like good on him. That you know,
1: I was waiting for someone to be like, why are we allowing any animals around us? Yeah. Ever. And, like, Chapman's basically sitting there, like, it's my daughter's cat. Like, if I just kill that cat, like, that will be a problem. And it'll start blowing my cover. We can't do that. And as a test, this was my favorite part of this, was Visser's response to Check was, he's a hologram in this scene. And he's got that whip scorpion tail. And he just goes like he's going to kill the cat. And when the cat brain takes over... And Rachel just hisses and tries to take a swing at the tail in response. He just laughs it off. It's like, I like those. Yeah. It could never stop me in a million years. It saw me come like I was going to kill it and it tried to hit me. These are good animals. I like that. Visser, by the way, is
0: like maniacal. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Kind of evil. Always being a dick just for no reason. Just a jerk of a person.
1: We get this characterization over the books particularly, but in later books. The characterization we get is he got Elfangor. He acquired, he took the first Dandelite. He is the only Yurk that can morph. And that got him promoted to like a fucking admiral. Sure. He is stupid. He is bad at this. And we actually get that in this book where they're talking about how Visser 3 is losing control of the situation. He is not, he does not have a handle on Earth. They're well entrenched. They're in positions where they can't really lose. But now that there is any form of resistance, there is this question in the yerks of like, man, is he gonna drop the fucking ball on this? The
0: other Yerks are competent. That's why he's able to keep this under wraps, but any pressure is going to make the whole thing break and fall apart. I have questions. Okay. Okay. Let me just insert one right here because the vice principal, yes, they're taking over, but the Yerks seem to be arguing like, like the Yerk controller seemed to be arguing a lot in defense of the family and the kid, like almost more than was necessary to keep the cover. So here's my
1: question. Are there good slash rebel yurks? Do they exist? To within a definition of good, and I don't believe we ever deal with any rebel yurks. Okay. But basically what I got from that was sort of that territory of basically being a citizen in a country that is doing something horrible. Right. So Vister says, kill the cat. And you know what? We should just pop a yerk in the kid. And that's when the argument comes in. It's like, I can't just kill the cat. it will give it away for the daughter. And also, we had an agreement with my body. Like, we told him we wouldn't touch the daughter. Basically, Visser is a villain. He is maniacal. Uh, He does not care. And he is actually legitimately evil. And the yerks are awful and bad. But there's this one who's saying, we made a deal, though.
0: Right. This one's lawful evil.
1: Yeah. Well, Visser is clearly a chaotic evil. When he's threatening Chapman, he shows him video of the Visser turning into a monster specifically designed to prey on yurks. It was one of those, you know what happened to the last guy that disappointed me? I turned into this thing, sucked him out of his body's head, and I ate him. So maybe do your fucking job. Yeah, by
0: the way, if the kids can get that, that would be pretty great. They need to find a way to touch that particular animal.
1: This book, Jake is still hung up on having eaten a spider. I know, I know. It's gonna take them They're a while not to get there. Eat the sentient brain slugs. But
0: boy, would that be an effect. Well, they could like maybe maybe not even chew them, just suck them out. Like just the just the ability to do that. Would be huge,
1: and then like spit them in a jar or whatever. Granted, we still come down to the the problem of can you acquire someone else's morph, which I cannot remember for the life of me, and I refuse to look up. I'll find out later. Two of them got the same bird. They both got a peregrine,
0: not a A peregrine, like a like a big. It was one of the larger birds. Most of them got big birds. No, something else. But like there, there's definitely one. There's one bald eagle, and then there's uh Jake got a peregrine a falcon. Yeah. Uh, Obviously, Tobias is still the red-tailed the red-tailed hawk. Bummer, by the way. Lots of Tobias sadness in this one. And whenever they talk about Tobias, like it genuinely made me upset. It genuinely made me feel very claustrophobic and like have a little bit of body dysmorphia as I
1: was listening to it. Like it's it's upsetting to think about. There's a whole lot of that. Like someone says something. Everyone looks at Tobias. Tobias just has to go like, yeah, I'm a bird. Thanks, bud. I know. At least you don't get lost in the bird. At least you're still a bird. But like,
0: he's a bird now. So he's a bird for like, how long does a red-tailed hawk live? Like 15 years? Like, is that his life now? Yep. Okay, that sucks. He's he's a bird. (laughs) They did that early. I have to give her credit. Like dropping that
1: early as opposed to keeping it a threat. I mean, it's, I guess it's now even a bigger threat. It is still a threat. Tobias is going to get enough business in general that he's going to be like a real character. I'm excited for the Tobias book. I, I'm very excited to read from his perspective. Tobias currently exists to be the threat. Just to make sure that everyone remembers, hey, two hours. The way that comes around in this book is, see that segue? That was good they decide to go back in. And, you know, Tobias has, was monitoring Rachel the entire first time she went down through ThoughtSpeak. It's one of those situations where, like, was, there's was a single throwaway line that I respect more than basically any other piece of writing in this book, which was when they said, like, there's a limit to how far ThoughtSpeak can go and, like, what it can go through. We don't know what that is yet. We're right. still working on it.
0: Yeah, it is pretty nebulous, but it feels like...
1: Maybe sixty feet. It's it's basically shouting, right? It can't necessarily go through walls. Sometimes it can go through some walls, but like sure,
0: it'll probably be blocked by was it a couple inches of lead, one foot of
1: stone, four feet of dirt, a thin layer of lead, one inch of steel, a foot of stone, or like a meter of wood. Because Rachel was acting sketchy, the other. Uh, members of the team basically hatch a plan to morph uh flea. They turn Jake into a flea and throw Jake onto Rachel. They tested it first,
0: which was smart of them yeah. because that was a risk. Yeah. Because when you first think about it, like, are you going to have limited capacity to think because you'll be a flea. Like, how will this work? Because I always assumed the smaller you got, the bigger the threat. But it seemed to be the opposite. Because a flea brain is so small, Jake was able to easily take
1: control, almost as if he was piloting a robot. The threat is instinctual. The reason you see that correlation to size is because prey animals. You're going to have, like, that sudden, like both while she was a shrew and when she was a cat, Rachel had like a bird's shadow go over her and immediately went, oh my God, this is the apocalypse, I'm going to die. When you're a flea, Jake was saying it like, I can just smell blood. And the flea brain goes like, go towards blood, drink blood.
0: Kay Applegate must have like a giant Rolodex of like every animal (laughs) and all those little notes about what they can and can't sense.
1: And then they have the whole thing, like when they're talking about morphing They talked about morphing a flea in passing and everyone was like, well, if we're a flea, will we be able to hear the conversation? Will we be able to see anything? And everyone turns to look at Cassie and Cassie goes, I work at a rescue vet. I don't know. Why would I know? Why would I know
0: this? Oh, The only thing I know about fleas is how to prevent and get rid of them. I never
1: considered the perspective of what They go back in. They get a little bit more business, like hearing the call between Visser and Chapman. And then... Pulling back away from his desk, Chapman kicks the cat accidentally. Rachel screams. They find out she's there, and Visser just goes like, no, 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 fuck this, I'm done. You're killing that cat, and you're bringing me the kid. And then they're like, wait a minute, don't kill it. Bring it to me. It's clearly one of the Andalites. Yeah. I will torture it. Uh, He was fucking right there. They shove Rachel in a carrier crate, and basically when Chapman tells the wife, the moment they say, go get the kid, both the controllers, their bodies revolt, and they like Miss Chat- Mrs. Chapman starts slapping herself with one hand and trying to choke herself and out, choking herself. Yeah, uh, Mister Chapman just goes down, and eventually they're just like, you know what? Fuck this! I'm taking the cat. This is all they're getting. Mm-hmm. Melissa starts freaking out, and she's having a breakdown. And the worse it's getting, there's all the animorphs are sitting there going like, Jesus Christ! If she doesn't get out of there, then they're gonna snatch her too. So they just get the real cat, drop it in. <laughs> they just
0: terrify the real cat into running back to the house and basically yeah. leaping on the
1: cage. And then he's like, oh, no, no, this is a, another cat that we mistook for this your cat. This is just a stray that we let into yeah. the house. So like now I'm just bringing it to the humane society. Like Why didn't you tell me that? Because shut up, child. Please don't make me kill you. I didn't notice you,
0: is what he ends up saying. And she's just like, I
1: was screaming and crying. (laughs) Yeah, she's having a really tough night. Basically, there's a whole drawn out thing where they wind up on the blade ship again. Uh, They go back to the construction site so that they can land and the Visser can take Rachel into the ship and then torture her to get the information out. And as much as you go like, oh, he's very evil and I will torture her for information. Rachel is sitting there going, He's going to torture me for information, and I'm going to break. Jake is a flea. Jake fucks off into another room, turns into a tiger, attacks, just starts murdering people inside the ship. The rest of the team shows up because they're at the construction site, and they just start getting on, like, the big rigs and shit, trying to take the ship down by, like, using a front loader to just attack it. Everyone just barely gets out of it they morph, they get away, and that's more or less where we sort of wrap things up. We just get a nice little sort of uh, end note where Rachel goes over and uses a word processor. She has to specify word processor because we're at that level of technology to type up a little note to her friend just saying, hey, your dad still loves you, I promise. Uh, leaves that for her friend and sort of brings Melissa kind of back out of her shell a little bit, and that's our sort of happy note. But At the end of the day, they don't really... They don't gain much. They don't gain that much besides basically like operational knowledge of the fact that like no one likes Visser 3. Visser 3 is mildly incompetent. The controllers definitely still have like... Like the bodies still have some control. They're just not really capable of exerting it. And they talk about the fact that the Yerk Pool has been moved. They've already settled on the major plan, which is if we can find the York Pool and we can smash whatever the Kondrona generator is, we can starve them and then they'll have to leave.
0: The York Pool hasn't moved. The entrance to the York Pool, there's several entrances to that. It must be a giant complex. There's several entrances to it. The one at the school is now closed. Like it was never there. So that's where we leave off on this one. Lots of questions.
1: Go for it.
0: (laughs) We've locked this down now in like the early 90s because like malls
1: have a sway with teens still. Uh, They don't have cell phones. It was written at that time and it was written for a modern audience. Yeah. The author seems to have like a personal hit list of like people, like kinds of people she doesn't like. Because the scenes
0: at the beginning of the books are clearly set up to punish people that she thinks are jerks. And I'm here for that. That's exactly what I would do. I love that Rachel's mom
1: is a lawyer and her dad is a weatherman. They do a very nice job of like putting all the kids on similar footing, right? Like Cassie gets a happy home life, but it's like, no, her, her parents work like a dream job, but that dream job takes them away. And they get, they get Cassie involved in it frequently. They have a happy life together, but they're, they're just, you know, not around. Uh, Marco has, you know, his whole situation with his mom who died uh, and his dad being on his own. Jake is standard up and down, middle-class white boy. Rachel has a family that should be, you know, a little higher income, but now it's a single-parent household and her her mom is, like, constantly busy and, like, I have have a meeting in the morning I have to get to, so uh, I'm just ordering you Chinese food because I have to keep working. As much as they don't, really get into dealing with any sort of issues around class or poverty with any of the kids, they still make an effort to have them be from different familial settings. Right. But no one is like, you know, really in poverty. They're all in generally stable households. We'll get to Tobias. But right now we're not being sad about Tobias being poor. We're being sad about Tobias being a bird. Which is for us, again,
0: probably worse. Terrifying. (laughs) Yeah. It's really uncomfortable to think about. Also, the shrew felt like a giant panic attack the entire time. That was also upsetting to think about. I don't like the idea. I don't think I would enjoy this power. I don't think I would like constantly wrestling with another consciousness to stay in control of the temporary body I was in. It just feels like a big fight the whole time.
1: Honestly, fucking nightmarish.
0: The transformation is the existence as the creature, the constant looming
1: threat of them being trapped inside that body. It's all very upsetting. And the fact that like the only things you can become that are safe are predators. The Andalites have this power, but it's not their weapon, right? They're in fucking spaceships. They have knives on their tails. Like they have a gun. They're not turning into ducks to fight the yurks.
0: No, it's just something else they can do if they have to.
1: But you can also imagine a setting where, like, if that is your weapon, you run the risk of turning into an absolute monster. Like you said, yeah, you could do subterfuge, but now you have to tolerate a brain that is afraid. Yeah. Or I could turn into a tiger. And I could just immerse myself in these brains where I am powerful, where the only time I have to worry about controlling it is when it wants to kill and eat something. And even then, that's why I'm here.
0: It would seem to the Andalites, at least early on, this power would have been much better as a reconnaissance spy Mm -hmm. kind of thing. But sure, eventually until they caught on and then are just like murder every animal that gets near. Mm -hmm. No matter what it is. I'm honestly surprised Jake got away with being a dog near them. Because they would have to be like, no, fuck that.
1: Get that the fuck out of here. They get away with that one because at that time, they didn't think there were Andalite warriors. They thought they got the only Andalite. And they thought there were kids that saw something. So they were going to kill the kids just to cover up the story. Right. They had no idea powers had been passed along. And that's the thing, right? Like this move of passing on the morphing abilities to children, human children on earth with no instruction is stupid. There is absolutely no reason why the Yerks would have been worried about that with humans. When they thought they were chasing humans, they were like, well, fuck, we'll have to find the kids so that they don't say anything about, you know, the spaceship crashing. And then the, you know, the horseman turning into a big scary beast and consuming the other horseman. That would be fucking annoying.
0: And also now they have five more people who can transform because humans are easy to take over. So they would have five spies that are perfectly built for this planet, which would massively advance their plans. It was it was an incredibly risky thing for that, yeah, for that prince to do. It was yeah. it, it was reckless, I would say.
1: Well, that's the thing with a Hail Mary, right? It's like if there is no resistance by the time backup gets here, the yrks win. If I give them this, maybe they don't win. At the end of the day, the thing that we watch these kids trying to do is undercut. We are going to destroy their food source. We're going to figure out where their lair is. We're going to set people free so that they don't have materials anymore. They know, and they bring it up in this book. Like, we can't fight Viscer 3. Right. The fact that we're alive right now and we've seen Viscer 3 twice is a fucking miracle.
0: We can't go to war, but we can use guerrilla tactics exactly. to try and sabotage them as much as possible, which is what I would do. I mean, it's smart.
1: I mean, Although, you would try to negotiate your week.
0: Uh, no, I wouldn't try to negotiate. No. <laughs> the second I, I mean, like, maybe if I had just heard, oh, there's aliens, sure, I'd walk up to the ship and try and talk. But once I saw them the first time and saw them, like, actually transform into creatures that would just ate other sentient creatures, I'd be like, okay, there's... You know, we're not that's, gonna negotiate. That's an issue. <laughs> yeah. Did you I'm sure when you read these books, you must have thought about a lot about what you would do if you got the powers, right? Yeah. So like if they're like if the alien had landed in Canada and passed the Cuba round, what would young Dylan have done?
1: Oh, no, but that's the thing is you immediately start thinking about all of the cool shit you would do because everyone wants to turn into a bird. Yeah. Everyone immediately jumps to what is your battle morph going to be? Like, are you going to get the tiger? Are you going to go for a lion? Are you going to... Young Dylan would have died.
0: Young Aram probably as well. Yeah. yeah. They even talk about like when you're a bird, like if something happens you, yeah. and like you just fall and die. Like it's not like falling over or passing yeah. out as a...
1: You're just going to die. Which is again fantastic ways to convey information. Right at the beginning of the book, when they're practicing flight, it's you're talking about when uh, Rachel was talking about how like when she's in the process of diving, you know, they're doing almost single feather manipulations to make sure that everything stays steady and she stays on track. Because if she rolls, there's enough like air pressure, there's enough torque going on there that she could in midair break a wing. And if you break a wing in midair, then you start to fall. And then she stops and just turns to Tobias and goes, holy fuck, when I was an elephant, if I was in a bad space, I could just go back to being Rachel. But like, if I'm a bird and I break my wing and I start to fall and I turn into me, the situation has not improved. Not at all. It's gotten much worse. The morphs know things that the bodies, that the people don't. They carry information, which is
0: Fantastic. I also like that uh, Rachel's good at morphing, but Cassie's the best, and Cassie's getting really good at, like, these mid-morphs, and it makes me wonder if at some point Cassie would, like, be able to be, like, a a werewolf, basically, and, like,
1: have both parts kind of at the same time. That would be cool. But again, we we keep coming back to this. If you're a werewolf and I'm a yurk, I look at that and go, holy shit, that looks like the midpoint between a wolf and, and a, a human being. Yeah. Late in the book, the way that Rachel gets out of the cat carrier, which is, again, fantastic things about the series, being in a cat carrier was the major threat to Rachel's life. Yes. She half unmorphed and managed to give herself shitty little half cat fingers and just <laughs> worked the latch. Yeah. Which is a good trick. Well yeah. done very clever, but like, that's, I think that's the extent of the business we're going to give to that kind of shit in these books.
0: Yeah. It's hard. It's, it's hard to hold the form, but it it is, it is crazy because we have established that the Andalites could probably, but never have taken the form of humans. They just choose not to do that, even though that would be hugely effective They've chosen not to. And, I, and so have the kids,
1: or at least they haven't even thought about it yet. Well, the Andalites are an intergalactic species. And I, I don't know if they're intergalactic, but they're, they're a spacefaring got spaceships. species. Yeah. yeah. The number of planets they know about, the number of species they know about, I don't think it's that they haven't thought about turning into people. They technically know Earth is there. Right. It's like, you know, if you're planning a road trip between two cities, like, you technically know that there's a town that is off the highway that has a gas station in it. And if I really needed to, I could go there and get gas. But I am not going to acknowledge that that town exists unless I desperately need to be there for some reason.
0: They don't turn into any sentient species. Like, they don't turn into hork They don't turn into other sentient things. But assumedly, they could.
1: Uh, they can, and it will come up later, but we're not going to deal with that for several books. Okay. Fair enough. All right. Good. Interesting. Interesting. I really wanted there to be good yurks. The problem is they spend so much time, like there are other species, right? Like, right. Taxons. I mean, we've covered this one already, but like They are controlled because there is nothing better for them than being controlled in their own mind. Those the worm guys? Yeah. Which is honestly fucking horrifying and is a terrible message to send. But also they are a single like species example. The Hork-Bajir on the other hand were dominated. They were fully fucking taken over. We get a lot of stuff from their perspective. We get the weird cyborg dogs. We get, you know, space god and galactic Satan. I'm eager to get to all of that. What is the next book, by the way? Uh, The next book is Tobias. Oh, good. Uh, The next book is, I believe, The Encounter. I was just looking at it a second ago. Okay, Applegate, The
0: Encounter. Yeah. And the cover is probably going to be a red-tailed hawk. Yep, there he is. Oh, that's a disturbing mid-morph cover. Yeah. The art
1: is varied and all upsetting. The early books are a lot more contained because they don't know anything. And I'm not going to talk about anything outside of what is absurd because it doesn't spoil anything. And this book builds in such a way that I feel like there is some value to just me not saying shit. Sure. We also get the justification of why Cassie isn't the leader a little bit more because we talk about how Cassie is really sort of a pacifist and is trying to like. We're getting all of that build and we still haven't had the last member of the team yet. Until there's seven, and then there's a whole thing that happens with that. That's an ugly situation that you're going to enjoy. All
0: right. Well, then I will look forward to the to- <laughs> I look forward to the Tobias book and seeing his perspective in the new one. So yeah. I'll get to reading that this week and we'll try to record another.
1: I'm excited about this first season because quite frankly, I think we're going to end right about where we are hitting status quo. Thank you for joining us for Podspeak. Animorphs was written by K.A. Applegate. Our show is edited by Aram, and our theme music is composed by Kai Engel. For more information about us, ways to support
0: the show, and to hear all the podcasts we produce, head over to deadghostpro.com. And remember... The controllers are everywhere.